Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the Dow finished with yet another gain today. We closed it with 20,770 something. I've been told that this is the longest consecutive winning streak for the Dow Jones since 1987. And, of course, we all remember how that streak came to a crashing end in October with the 1987 stock market crash. So we'll see if uh, the market has better luck this time around. We got the FOMC minutes that were released earlier today, and I think they were interpreted as being you know, hawkish. And remember, this is all on a relative scale because they're all doves now. It's simply degrees of dovishness. There are no actual hawks on the FOMC or anywhere at any central bank. They're all doves. The question is, you know, who is more dovish and how dovish can can you be? But there were some statements that caused the markets to think, hey, maybe a rate hike is coming because I think the members said that it would be appropriate to raise rates sometime soon. Now, what is sometime soon? Is that March or is that April, May or June? I mean, That's still soon in the scheme of things. If you look at how slowly the Fed has been moving at a glacial speed when it comes to raising rates, soon can certainly be a few months from now. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be March. Now, if they could have said March, hey, it might be appropriate to raise rates in March. They didn't say March. They just said soon. So nobody really knows what soon is. Now, they did comment that they thought that the markets might interpret gradual rate increases as meaning only one or two rate hikes a year. And they were troubled by that because maybe 
They're saying that by gradual, we mean three a year, not one or two. And so maybe there, I heard some people talking, hey, maybe the Fed is not going to go slowly, right? They're not going to do one or two. They're going to do three. Well, even if they do three, we're still talking very gradual rate hikes, especially if you put it in context of how low rates are right now and how high inflation is already. You know, I keep hearing these uh, comments from Fed officials. They're doing interviews and they're saying, yes, we're making progress. We're we're moving slowly towards our goal of 2% inflation. 2% inflation, they left that in the dust. The last number we got in January showed a year-over-year CPI increase of 2.5%. That's a half a percent above 2%. So why are they saying they're making progress towards getting to 2% when they've already zoomed past it? They're looking at it now in the rearview mirror. In fact, if you annualize the uh, CPI number from January, you're over 7%. So these guys are still in denial with respect to what's happening uh, with, uh, with inflation. But anyway, the markets did interpret these FOMC minutes, I believed, as being positive. I think as soon as the statement came out, we got a bit of a sell-off in, in gold and a rally in the dollar, but that quickly reversed. Gold ended up with a slight gain on the day, and the dollar ended up uh, with a modest loss. And this, you know, happened again. Earlier in the week, some Fed official came out and said a March rate hike is not off the table, right? He didn't even say it was on the table. He simply said it wasn't off the table, right? I mean, you know, so, and as a result of that, gold quickly sold off like 10 bucks. Even though earlier that day, we had very strong economic data that came out of the Eurozone, including hotter than expected inflation number, yet the market shrugged all that off because some Fed official came out and said a March rate hike isn't off the table. Well, who cares, you know, whether it's on the table or not? And even if they do hike rates, again, it's too little too late. But that knee-jerk reaction, that $10 sell-off in the price of gold was bought, and gold rallied and closed positive on the day. Now, today, we, you know, we, we were up again this morning before the FOMC minutes came out. We got a little bit of a sell-off leading up to those minutes, but we seem like we're building a lot of resistance up around 1240 for the price of gold. And I have a feeling that once we take it out, we're going to have a pretty big run to the upside. Speaking of inflation, Alan Greenspan gave an interview for a magazine put out by the World Gold Council, and I'm seeing a lot of reporting of it on various websites because he said a lot of very negative things about the economy. He's predicting stagflation, very weak economic growth, high inflation. You know, he's kind of couching his language and, you know, around the Trump administration because some of the headlines I'm reading had to do with, hey, you know, Greenspan is saying that we're going to have a lot of stagflation under the Trump administration as if Donald Trump's policies are going to be the reason for the stagflation. They're not. The reason for the stagflation is because of Alan Greenspan's policies, not only the policies that he pursued himself, but because his successors borrowed pages from his playbook, right? I mean, the reason that Alan Greenspan is so worried about this massive fire that he thinks is going to erupt is because he's the one that lit it, right? I mean, he struck the first match and, you know, he's talking about gold. Obviously, it's a gold magazine, but he's very bullish on the price of gold. He talked favorably about the price of gold. Yet the one thing Greenspan still doesn't want to do is accept any responsibility. He doesn't want to accept the blame for all the bad things that he now thinks are coming, 
right? As if all this bad stuff that Greenspan thinks is going to happen is completely uh, disconnected from any of the things that he did as Fed chairman when he laid the foundation. Now, of course, Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen pursued monetary policy far more reckless than anything Alan Greenspan did. So the bubbles that they have blown together are much larger than the one that Greenspan blew or the ones that he blew that have already popped. And so these larger bubbles have yet to pop. And when they do, the consequences are going to be horrific. And Greenspan knows this. Yet he doesn't want to lay the criticism on the Fed. So now maybe he's you know going to blame it on Trump's policies. But Trump's policies have nothing to do with it. The problems are already there. It is possible that Trump's policies may accelerate the collapse, which would be a good thing. Because the last thing we want to do is keep delaying it. Because the longer we delay it, the worse it's going to be. But to the extent that Trump basically accelerates the day of reckoning, clearly a lot of people are going to look to blame him and blame his policies. But it's not his policies. He inherited this disaster. And it's really the central bankers that were the architects of these policies. Had they done their jobs, had they actually been independent and kept interest rates much higher and refused to monetize any government debt, then government would have been forced out of necessity to dramatically decrease government spending. And the debts that everybody is now talking about, including even Donald Trump had a press conference today when he talked about how the debt is enormous, that we've just doubled our debt. And, you know, we have to he has to be a good steward of taxpayer money. He has to, you know, watch his spending. Yeah. I mean, I wish he meant that. But on the other hand, he's talking about more money for defense, more money for infrastructure, not touching Social Security, not touching Medicare. Um, You know, so how can you be talking about all this expansion of government and you're taking all these entitlements off the table, yet you're complaining about the big growth in the national debt? when a big part of that growth has to do with entitlements. Had entitlements been tackled eight years ago, had we made cuts to entitlements back then, the debt wouldn't be as large as it is right now. Yet Donald Trump wants to make the same mistake. He doesn't want to cut entitlements either. I want to talk, though, about some articles that I was reading over the last uh, few days or so that really caught my eye. One of them had to do with Bill Gates, and he made some comments about how since companies are going to be automating, right, and using robots, and I think he was talking about two uh, self-driving cars, right, that, oh, if we have self-driving cars, then we're going to put a lot of people out of work, right? Truck drivers, for example, if you have a- a- autonomous trucks, which I think would be a great thing, but then we're not going to need uh, truck drivers. And so what Bill Gates was saying, and this is his you know, incredible insight, he said that if a company replaces a human being with a robot, that the robot should pay the same type of income and payroll taxes that the human being would, would have paid. Because you know, now the government is missing out on all this tax revenue, because if you pay a human being to do a job, well, he pays taxes on his wages, which I believe, you know, we shouldn't even have that. I don't even think a wage is a gain. I think a wage is, a, is an exchange of labor for money, and it shouldn't be taxable because it's not really income in, in the sense that the, the 16th Amendment uh, uh, was envisioning. But his point is correct that when, you, when you're paid wages, the wage earner pays taxes. But if a company hires a robot and buys a robot that 
you know, the cost of the robot doesn't generate any income tax or payroll taxes for the government. So Bill Gates' solution is, hey, let's let's have these robots pay taxes, and then we can use that tax money maybe to help retrain the workers who have lost their jobs. I mean, what an asinine suggestion. I mean, first of all, robots can't pay taxes because they're not people. They don't pay taxes. I mean, and first of all, if you're going to have the robot pay taxes, you know, is he going to pay Social Security taxes? Why? I mean, is, he, is the robot going to get Social Security benefits? Obviously, he can't. So they're talking about the owner of the robot, right? So if you buy a robot, they want you to pay taxes because you bought a robot. Well, if you're going to pay payroll taxes on your robots, are you going to collect Social Security benefits on your robots? And for how long? I mean, how long does a robot live? I mean, they, technically, it's never it's not even alive, so it's never going to die. I mean, you can keep it going. Obviously, they don't mean for the owners of robots to collect the benefits. They just want to pay the taxes. But what about what about votes? I mean, if I put some robots uh, in, into use and I'm going to start paying taxes on my robots, can I vote for my can I get one vote for every robot that I'm paying taxes on? But the whole thing is crazy to suggest that I have to pay a tax because I have a robot. A robot is like a machine. I mean, it's the same thing as a computer or any kind of tool, right? Any tool that I have, why should I have to pay a tax as if I hired a human being? The human being obviously is supposedly getting some kind of benefits from government, right? That's why he's paying taxes for all these wonderful benefits. The the machine doesn't get any benefit. The the robot doesn't get any benefit from government, right? But the whole idea that somehow the government has to protect us from progress, that the government has to protect us from automation is complete and utter nonsense. People benefit. We have always benefited uh, from automation, right? These are labor-saving devices, right? Labor-saving. By definition, what does that mean? That means you need less labor. And so if we have autonomous trucks, the fact that we don't have to have a human being driving that truck is a benefit to society. It benefits everybody, eventually even the people that used to drive the trucks. Because by taking the human being out of the truck, the trucks can now operate more efficiently. And so therefore, products can be delivered at a lower cost. And so everybody can benefit because everything that we consume pretty much has to be transported. And the lower the cost to transport something, the cheaper the product is going to be. That is the goal of society. The goal of society is not to create work. The goal is to eliminate work. I mean, think about you know going back to the Stone Age, right? Somebody invented the wheel. How many people did the wheel put out of work, right? Because before they had a wheel, if you wanted to move something, how did you get to push it on the ground, right? There's a lot of friction there. It probably took a lot of people to push things along the ground. Um, you know, maybe they had some kind of rollers or whatever that was, you know, but I mean, when someone came up with a wheel and all of a sudden you can easily transport things because you can push a cart, which rolled on the ground as opposed to pushing what you would put in the cart, you now needed fewer people to push it around. So people were put out of work because of the wheel. You know, I mean, what about the lever, you know, lever and a fulcrum? I mean, somebody can lift much heavier objects when he's got a lever. So how many people did the lever put out of, out of work? Because now one person can lift what it used to take four or five people to do, right? Every time we invent something, somebody gets put out of work. That is the purpose of it. The purpose of an invention is to reduce the need for labor so you free it up to do more things so we can have more stuff. You know, the, the, the primary beneficiary of all this are the average person, the poor people, 
Rich people, you know, don't get these benefits. I mean, look at all of the automation on the farm. Think about all of the food that we now grow, and we have so many fewer people working in the field because now we have all the automation. But what this does is it reduces the cost of food. You know, you go back, you know, hundreds of years ago, rich people are kings. Think about like Louis, Louis XIV, right? He ate like a king, literally, right? I mean, he had great food because he had all the best chefs in France to cook his food. He had people out there to go out and, 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 and fish and, and hunt and garden. And he had great food and they had bakeries and pastries. He, he, he probably ate, I'm sure Louis XIV ate better than almost every American eats today because he was the king. He could afford it. But what about his peasants? What about all the subjects? They, you know, no, you know, we eat much better than they did because of uh, automation, because of uh, the progress that has been made in being able to grow more food with fewer people. Now, of course, you know, you, there are other things. I mean, I have much better health care than Louis XIV. I mean, all the money he had, he couldn't buy any antibiotics because they hadn't been invented. And, you know, he lived in Versailles, but there was no air conditioning in there. Right. So sure, it's hot as hell in the summer. So obviously, free market capitalism, in many respects, average people, poor people live better than Louis XIV. But, you know, eating, sure. I mean, he probably he ate good food. But the average person back then is benefiting. And people that used to be in the farms are now eating a lot better because they don't have to work in the farm. So none of this. Yes, computers, robots, it's it, it's more advanced. It's It's more technology. But it's the same concepts. It's the exact same principles. I mean, it's a good thing that Bill Gates wasn't around in the Stone Age to make sure that, you know, we didn't invent that wheel because somebody was going to get put out of work. You know, think about all the labor-saving devices that we have around the house. You, know, you think they always existed, right? Why don't, we, why don't we put a tax on dishwashers or laundry machines, you know, washer dryers or vacuum cleaners, right? Because, you know, People are using these things instead of hiring help, right? Instead of hiring a housekeeper or maid, you know, I do my own laundry. You think, you know, you know how people used to do laundry before they had a laundry machine? You had a, you had a, a big tub and you had to scrub uh, the clothes in a big, a big metal tub. And then you had to hang them out on a clothing line to let them dry. I mean, it took, it was, took a long time, right? I mean, if, if, imagine if you still had to do this today. I mean, back in the day, a lot of women didn't work outside the home because they worked all day inside the home doing these household chores. But now it's a lot easier because you have all, all of these machines. I mean, what about having a refrigerator? I mean, a refrigerator, you go to the supermarket one time, you don't, you don't have to go for another week or two because you can load up stuff in, in refrigerators. I mean, you think we've always had refrigerators? I mean, a big advancement was the icebox because before the icebox, you had no way to keep things fresh, right? You had to go to the store every, all the time. And then they had somebody invented an icebox, right? And in order to have an icebox, right, you had to get ice. It didn't make the ice itself like an electric refrigerator. So in order to keep the icebox cold, you had to get some ice and put it into the box. And it kept it cold until the ice melted. And, of course, you had to have a tray on the bottom to catch the water as the ice melted. Now, where did everybody get ice uh, to cool their ice boxes from the Iceman. People used to come down, these guys, they were on a, a horse-drawn carriage, and they had a big carriage full of ice. And then these guys would chip off some ice and deliver it to your house, and then you would put the ice in your ice box so you can keep your appliance, your, your, you know, your vegetables or your milk cold, right? Then somebody invented a refrigerator. Oh, my God, all the ice men were out of work. 
right? When somebody invented a refrigerator, it put every ice man out of a job. Should we not have done it? Should we have taxed households, you know, made them pay some kind of tax on the refrigerator to help retrain the guy that's no longer uh, an ice man? You know, these are not good jobs. I mean, ice man is tough work, right? I mean, these guys, I mean, ice is cold. It's heavy. I'm sure they bruised up their hands. I mean, these guys had to work long hours, right? These are not great jobs. It's a good thing that we don't have to even do that. I'm not even sure. Where did they get the ice in the summertime? I mean, I know in the winter, I know they could just go harvest it out of a stream or a pond. They can cut the ice. But I don't know. Would it, would, did you have to store it into the summer in a big ice house and try to keep you know, the, the ice cold so you can deliver ice in the summertime? Which, of course, ice would be a lot more valuable in the summer months than it would be in the winter month. But the fact that we don't have these ice men, and there are a lot of things. You know, before they had disposable diapers, people had to do all their diapers by hand. And then they had diaper services. Right, people came around and they picked up your dirty diapers and and they and then they delivered them. Well, Pampers or I'm not whoever came up with the first, you know, disposable diaper. They they put all these diaper services out of business. Right, this is progress. You know what about you know the refrigerator also put the milkmen out of business. You know, milkmen used to come and deliver fresh milk, but once you had a refrigerator, you can keep the milk, and so the milkmen aren't here either. I mean, think of all the jobs that used to exist that don't exist anymore. Right. So you think if we had some idiots like Bill Gates back then, oh, no, no, we have to preserve all these jobs. We need the diaper services. We need the milkmen. We need the icemen. No, we don't. So who knows? What are people going to do in the future Right? that are driving trucks today that we're not going to need to drive trucks anymore because they're going to be autonomous? I don't know, but they're going to do something. What are all the icemen doing? They're, you know. So the idea that progress is a bad thing, that robots putting people out of business is a bad thing. This has always happened in the past, and this is always going to happen in the future. I mean, think, look, think about Star Trek. I, I love these, the Star Trek uh, series. I mean, I'm not like a Trekkie where I go to these uh, conventions or anything, but, but you know, I like, I like it. But think about some of the inventions in Star Trek. Like, what about the replicator, right? The replicator, they want some food. You just tell the computer what you want, and it just creates whatever food that you want. Instantly, I don't know. It just somehow it it rearranges the molecules in the air, and it just creates food out of thin air. I mean, how many people did the replicator put out of business? First of all, it put the entire agriculture industry out of business. I mean, forget about just putting farm workers out of business. It put all the farm owners out of business. Right? Why would you even have to grow food when a computer can just make whatever you want to eat out of the atoms in the air? So all of the farmers got put out of work. All the supermarkets, they don't need them anymore, right? Because you don't have to buy the food. The food just materializes. So you don't have to go to the market. So all the grocery stores, all the supermarkets shut down. All the people that work there out of business. I mean, we don't even need the autonomous trucks anymore because we don't have to deliver the food from the farm to the supermarket because it just comes out of thin air out of your computer, right? So, I mean, we, I mean, you're talking about entire industries being wiped out by that replicator. Now, is it a bad thing that you could just ask a computer, tell it what you want to eat, and this is going to give you whatever you want? I, I guess it's for free. It doesn't cost anything. I mean, if, if people can have all the food they wanted for free instantly, is that bad? No, that's fantastic. It puts a lot of people out of work, and that's a good thing because we don't want work. People don't want to work. We want leisure. We want to devote our time to other pursuits, whether it's the arts, right, music, literature, theater, just, you know, recreation. 
So the fact that we can just have our food, yes, we put people out of work. That is the point. I mean, what about what about the transporter system? I mean, how many people did transporters, right? The transporter in Star Trek, you, you stand there and it just zaps your molecules anywhere you want to go, right? It just breaks you down and reconfigures you and it could just send you anywhere. I mean, so they all the airlines out of business. I mean, there's no airlines. If you have a transporter, why would you want to go in an airline? I mean, you're going to put all the airlines out of business, the pilots, all the, you know, the, 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 uh, the people that work in security, TSA is gone. Right. I mean, plus all the you don't even need all the cabs are out of business. I mean, once you have transporters, you don't need anything. I mean, all the automobile. Why would you even want a car? What do you need a car for? Fuck, you don't even have to go to the supermarket because all your food comes out of your computer. And if you want to go somewhere, you step on your transporter. You don't all these jobs are eliminated. You know, ideally, you know, 10,000 years from now, I don't know, 100,000 years from now, nobody will work. Nobody will have to work. I mean, think about it on a personal uh, basis. What if you had your own robot that just went to work and did your job for you, right? So you didn't have to go. Your robot showed up and did your work and you didn't have to pay anything because it's just a robot. So you didn't even work at all. You collected the paycheck because you had a robot go and do your job. Now, would that be a bad thing? If Because that way everybody would be put out of work by a robot. But, but we don't have to work. We don't want to work. So all this idiotic economist nonsense, people are losing their jobs. This is all complete hogwash. The people who bet, it's not the rich, right? Bill Gates, it doesn't matter about labor-saving devices. Bill Gates can have anything he wants, right? It doesn't matter what it costs because he has an unlimited amount of money. There is nothing that Bill Gates can't buy, right? I mean, he, he wants a submarine, he can buy it. He wants a helicopter, he can buy it. He wants two helicopters, he wants a yacht, he wants a submarine and a helicopter on his yacht, and then he can buy it in several colors, right? So anything that he can think of, he can buy. So what difference does it make if somebody can lower prices and lower costs to Bill Gates? Doesn't make any difference at all. The people who are going to benefit from these labor-saving devices, from automation, from robots, are the poor and the middle class. Those are the ones who are going to benefit. In the very short term, yes, does somebody lose their job? Of course. Whenever there's an invention, right, they invented the automobile. Classic example. What happened to the guy making the buggy whips? No more horse and buggies. They're using cars. Okay, they lose their job, right? So yes, for the, the, the person who loses their job in that moment in time, and maybe for six months or a year or two, whatever, yes, for that individual, there is a small sacrifice for that individual. But over time, even that individual will benefit. Plus, it's other people, right? Because maybe you lose your job because of automation, but there are a lot of other people that lose their jobs because of automation and the price of what they used to make is now lower and all the people who lost their jobs benefit from lower prices and then they get other jobs. There's always going to be other jobs because our needs and our wants are unlimited. And so as certain desires are fulfilled, now more desires can be pursued, right? Human desires are endless. There's no limit to what we want. And so there's never going to be a limit on jobs unless we reach nirvana, unless we reach the point where everybody can have everything they want, right? I've used that as a, what if I could invent a box and all you do is ask the box what you want and then it produces it, right? I want a car. There it is. You know, what kind of car? I want a Ferrari. Okay, red, you got it. 
right? I want, here's what I want to eat. Here's what I want. My, so if everybody had a box and they can have everything that they wanted, then nobody would have a job because nobody would need a job, right? Now, according to economists, those, those boxes are very dangerous. They, we should destroy those boxes because it would destroy work. Well, we don't need work. We don't want to work because we like to work. What we want is the products that are the result of the work. If we can skip the work and go directly to the products, then that's what we do. Another ridiculous article that I read had to do with the CEO uh, of this uh, fast food company. And this one, they just make pretzels. It's Wetzel Pretzel. And I've, I've been to one of these places and the pretzels are pretty good. I mean, I don't eat a lot of pretzels, but I mean, they're good. They're like, they're almost like a French toast, some of these pretzels. But the CEO got a lot of press because he came out and said, hey, my business is booming thanks to the increase in minimum wage. And he said, the minimum wage is great because, you know, people earn more money and now they have more money to buy pretzels. And so I'm making more money. My workers are making more money. I have higher profits. And it was like the minimum wage was just this gift that keeps on giving. It's just this magical elixir where the government just sprinkles it on the economy and they've automatically raised wages, raised profits. Everybody benefits, right? Just because the government just mandates a minimum wage increase, which is complete rubbish. Because if that was the case, well, then why not, you know, uh, mandate a bigger you know, if a $1 increase in minimum wage is good, then a $2 increase is better. And if a $2 increase is good, a $5. Hey, why not just mandate $100,000? Yeah, wouldn't people would buy a lot of pretzels, right? If they're making $100,000 a year. I mean, the whole thing is fraudulent uh, logic. Maybe wet sales pretzels business is um, doing well, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that has anything to do with the increase in the minimum wage. I mean, for all we know, had the minimum wage not increased, maybe his business would have gone up just as much, or maybe it would have gone up even more. The two things are unrelated, right? The minimum wage and sales at Wetzel Pretzels. I mean, I think one of the reasons that this franchise is so successful is because it barely has any workers. I mean, if you ever go into one of these places, there's like one guy there, maybe two. This is very labor minimum. I mean, you have machines. There are machines there making these pretzels, right? So you don't have to hire a lot of people. That's probably one of the selling points of the franchise is you have low labor costs. So Wetzel Pretzels probably is has less of an impact on its operating costs from an increase in the minimum wage than your typical fast food restaurant because it doesn't use that many people. And of course, it's just pretzels. I mean, they don't have that much. It's not a very complicated menu, right? You're just different kinds of pretzels. And, you know, so they're not as hit hit as hard by it. So maybe he doesn't see some of the costs, but maybe for other reasons, his business is improving. And somehow he's, he's making the faulty logic by saying two things that are not related at all and assuming a causal relationship between the two when there's no evidence that there is a causal relationship. There are just two things that happen to be happening at the same time. I mean, I can decide that I'm going to wear a blue shirt today and it can rain. Now, does it mean that my blue shirt is why it rained. Hey, I wore a blue shirt and it rained. Well, it must be that it must be this blue shirt that caused it to rain. No, I, I mean, what if I'd have worn a red shirt? It still would have rained. Doesn't matter, right? But two things can happen at the same time and have nothing to do with one another. But of course, since he said this, all these proponents of minimum wage, oh, they want to make a big deal about this CEO that's claiming that raising minimum wage is good. It's not. It's pure nonsense. It is basic economics. You increase the cost of something, you decrease the demand for it. That is the law. 
Supply and demand is a law of economics. As price goes up, demand goes down. It works for products and labor. When you buy something, you are looking at a price. When employers buy labor, they're looking at a wage. And the higher the wage, the fewer people they're going to hire. The lower the wage, the more people they're going to hire. And that happens again with uh, non-employers. I ask people all the time who don't employ anybody. I say, well, do you have a housekeeper? Do you have a maid that that, that takes care of your house? A lot of people say, no. Well, why not? Well, the reason is because they can't afford it. Because the wage that they'd have to pay is too high. Obviously, at a low enough price, everybody would hire a housekeeper, right? Everybody. Who wants to do the, the chores themselves? Who wants to do their own housework? Well, so... And as people have more and more money, they can afford to pay the higher prices. But the reason that everybody doesn't have a housekeeper is because the cost of a housekeeper is too high. But if the cost went down, then more people would have them. And it's the same thing with any business, right? And if you make hiring unskilled people more expensive, then fewer of them will be hired. And you get these guys like Bill Gates and talking about automation. And you got a lot of these guys that are against automation are also in favor of Higher minimum wages and higher minimum wages is actually something that forces companies to automate even sooner than might otherwise have been the case because it's always a cost benefit analysis. And the benefit is when you bring on a robot, you buy some robots, right? You got to pay this upfront money. That's the cost. The benefit is what you don't have to pay the worker because you've made the investment in the equipment. Well, the higher the cost of the worker the greater the benefit of automating and using robots. So when the government jacks up the minimum wage, they increase the appeal of the robot. They make it so that the robot now has a bigger advantage over the human being. So if you don't want the automation or you don't want to accelerate the trend of robots and computers taking our jobs, then stop forcing workers to have to sell their wages at a price that's so high that it makes them uncompetitive uh, with the robots. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. 
Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail, silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download The Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit shiftsilver.com to download my free report. That's shiftsilver.com.